Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our text again this morning, we see something here in the life of David that we ought to emulate as well. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who repented of his sins. He was a man who turned from his sins. We often hear the expression that David was an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, That's not the case. David committed adultery and he committed murder, but he repented of those things. And you never find those things again in the life of David. David was a man who struggled with many difficulties in his life. He struggled as a result of sin. The Lord said that the the sword would not depart from his house. And so you can see the struggles when you read the life of David. But you also see with the life of David that he was an individual who loved the Lord, who desired the Lord. He desired to worship the Lord. Yeah, he was a mixed bag. He had struggles in his life. Every Christian does. Every Christian struggles with the sin that so easily clings to us. The putting off and the putting on. There is the struggle that goes on all this life long. And if you don't think so, you're fooling yourself or you're just simply not born of the Spirit of God. When you're born of the Spirit of God, then you begin having the contention and the problems in this world. David is now a man who is on the run as he's being chased by his son Absalom who's trying to, a coup attempt, overthrow and oust David and take over the throne. So David is now in the wilderness. And it's interesting, what you find here, just in verse 8, is he says that my soul follows close behind you. He says, your right hand upholds me. David is, is declaring that his life is one that strives to cling to God. Now, that ought to be all those that are born of the Spirit of God. Thinking about this for a moment, the the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that when you were dead, God made you alive. This is spiritually speaking. To be spiritually dead means to be at enmity with God. You don't have any affection in your heart for God. Your affection is for the things of this world. You are in the flesh, not simply in the body, but you are in the flesh, which means that your desire is the works of the flesh, the things of the flesh, the sinful desires and passions of the flesh that are contrary to God's law, to God's word, to God's character. You can't change your nature. God alone can change the individual's nature. He does that by regeneration. So... This is how we naturally come into the world. Loving the things of the flesh. Paul enumerates them in Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh. He gives a number of them. He listen, That's not comprehensive. Uh, but it, it gives a good from A to Z. Fills in a lot of the blank spaces there. About the activity and the work of the flesh. That's how we naturally come. We come as those with no affection towards God. As a matter of fact, when the gospel comes to you, somebody brings the gospel, you're angry. You don't want to hear about it. I have uh, friends in high school, well, people that I were friends of, and uh, uh, Marie and I went back to Michigan once and got to visit one of these individuals. Oh, 
you know, he wants to talk all about the things of the world. And I'm telling him, I want to tell you about Jesus because I'm concerned for your soul. He's angry. I don't want to hear about this Jesus stuff. You didn't come over here to tell me about Jesus. Well, yeah, I did. Because you got enough of the worldly stuff. He didn't want anything of that. He was one also that commented on the Facebook. I want to see more of your family stuff. Well, I don't do that. I'll give you more of Jesus. If you don't like it, just delete. Unfriend or whatever. That's the way of the world. The natural man does not respond to the things of God. He hates the things of God. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He hears the gospel and he laughs. That's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's the life of the natural man, the fleshly man, the carnal man, the man dead in his trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love of which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And Paul goes on and he says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is a change. There is a change of nature. You are no longer the old man. You are the new man in Christ Jesus. You have been raised up spiritually, born of the Spirit of God, born again, regenerated by the Spirit of God. You have new life in Jesus Christ. And with that new life, as you would expect, beloved, comes all different types of characteristics of the individual. There's new desire, new disposition, new love, new affection, new direction, new desires, new. They're all together new. Never had those before, and now I have that. This is the individual who was born of the Spirit of God. You can't keep God out of conversations. Oh, the world desires that. They strive to force to squash the name of God. Don't bring God into this, they say. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. You can't keep God out of any conversation. Without God, you're not speaking. You have no life. But the unbeliever hates the things of God. Why why, why am I saying all this? Because notice again what David says in verse 8. My soul follows close behind you. That's not the soul of an unbeliever. That is the soul of a believer. Following close, clinging, cleaving as it were, to the Lord. This is David's life. He is not a natural man. He is not a fleshly man. Did he struggle against sin? Yes, he did. Did he sin? Did he fall short? Yes, he did. God restored him. God revived him. God is the one who upheld him. And David's heart desired, because of the work of the Spirit in his heart, was to cleave to the things of God. Now let me say this, beloved. If you have absolutely no desire to follow, as David says, close behind the Lord, to follow after the Lord, 
to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord, to learn more about the Lord, to grow in your covenantal relationship with the Lord. You're probably not born of the Spirit of God if you have no desire. That's cause for alarm. Because we live in a church age where church membership is seen as equal to being born of the Spirit of God, and it is not. There will be many who were members of the church that died in their sins because they were not born of the Spirit of God and they were resting in something in the church. Their membership, the rights of the church, that they took the Lord's Supper, that they threw some money in the offering plate, that they were baptized, that they were confirmation. They're trusting in those things and not in Christ to all of that which points. All the rites, all the sacraments point to Christ who is our salvation. They are trusting in their faith, they say. God doesn't give us faith to trust in our faith, to trust in us. He gives us true faith to believe on Christ, to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask, beloved, I ask this question. Examine your heart. Paul calls us to self-examination. And you examine yourself in light of the teaching of God's Word. Now look, I am not asking for perfection. I don't have practical perfection. I'm not asking for that. I'm not even talking in that realm. I'm talking about the direction of your life. Is there affection in your heart for Christ? Is there a desire for Christ? I know that it's not comprehensively the fullness of your heart because there is still rebellion there. But I'm saying this, is there any affection and desire for Christ in your heart? Because it's not in the natural man. It's only in those that are born of the Spirit of God. The Christ of Scripture. Do you want to know Him in a greater measure? Do you want to worship Him in a deeper way? Do you want to have greater wonder and love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that in your life? Is that in your heart? Is that your desire? Is there that desire in your heart? That is evidence of one who has been born of the Spirit of God. If you think that you can come here on Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and throughout the rest of the week, you have no thought at all about the things of Christ, no affection for the things of Christ. You're not following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is evidence that you are not born of the Spirit of God. I'm saddened in our day that there is not enough courage to say that. Because it's offensive to people. I would rather that you be offended and be angry at me than you be damned by sleeping and slumbering thinking that you're okay because you're a member of this congregation when you're not. Paul says to examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Whether Christ dwells in you. If Christ doesn't dwell in you, you're disqualified. You will hear those awful words on that last day, depart from me. I never knew you into everlasting destruction. Yeah, but Lord, we ate with you. We drank with you. I was a member of Hope Reformed Church. 
all my life. And my parents were members. And their parents were members. And their parents were founding members. And Jesus said, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Beloved, let's not be deceived. Let us understand that there is only hope in Christ. And there is great hope. And when you have Him, you have all that is necessary unto your salvation. But if you have Him, you'll be like this verse 8. Your soul follows, cleaves, clings to the Lord. Now let me say this. You can't say that. Unless you're truly cleaving to the Word. We cleave to the Lord. We cling to the Lord. We follow hard after the Lord. Even as David, by knowing the Word of the Lord. I don't know how to cleave to the Lord. I don't know how to cling to Him. I don't know how to follow hard after Him apart from His Word. So you're just fooling yourself if you can say that I am a Christian, but I have no desire, no love, no affection for the Word of God. Cry out to the Lord. Call upon Him. Jesus says, you're weary, you're heavy laden. Weary and heavy laden from trying to strive and put up the facade and go through the motions and struggling and straining to try to work yourself into the kingdom by all these things. You won't make it. You can only come by way of faith in the perfection of Jesus Christ, trusting Him. He is your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You must believe on Him. You kids, you kids can fall into this easy. Well, I'm in the kingdom because my parents are believers. No, you're not a believer because your parents are believers. Faith is non-transferable. Your parents can't give you faith. Faith is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit who creates faith in the heart, enabling one to believe on Jesus Christ, His person and His work, and all that pertains in the Gospel concerning Christ. That is the work of the Spirit of God alone. And when that happens, beloved, you will strive to follow hard after Jesus. You will want the things of God. You will want the worship of God. The study of the things of God. The gathering together of the people of God. The prayers to God. You will want to sing out to the honor of His name. You will want these things. Not in perfection, but the desire will be there. It won't be a take it or leave it. It won't be, ah, not a big deal. I don't care. It's irrelevant to me. No, it is a necessity. It is essential. You want it. You need it. You have to have it. It is your necessary food. This is what David, uh, he gives the example of here. Great example. Following close. Are you following close after the Lord? And notice also that it's David following hard after the Lord by being pursued by Absalom, yet David is still in a worship mode, following hard after the Lord with this confidence. I am striving, but it's the Lord who upholds me. The right hand refers to God's power. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. All power, all authority, Jesus said, is given unto Him. He holds all power and authority. 
He is making his enemies the footstool of his feet. He is redeeming the sheep of his pasture. Those that were given him by his father. He's doing so by the ministry of the spirit and the word. As the preachers preach the word and the spirit regenerates the souls and unites them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptizing them into the body of Christ by the spirit of Christ. And David recognizes that he is upheld by the hand of God. You know, it's the analogy, beloved. It's the analogy of the little boy that wants to please his father. And they're walking, they're on a hike, and they're uh, hiking on a certain trail. And it's a mountainous region. And the little boy is holding the father's hand, and he slips and he starts to fall, and he grips as tight as he can. But what's keeping him from falling over the edge? Ultimately, it's not his grip upon the Father. It's his Father's grip upon him. It's the Lord's hand that upholds us. But nevertheless, there is the proximate as well that we are grabbing and holding with all of our might. And this is what David says. He's following close behind, but it's the Lord who's sustaining him. It's the Lord who is upholding him. It's the Lord who upholds us. It's in him we live and move and have our being. The Lord gives us the breath to breathe. The Lord is the one who ultimately brings the healing when we get sick. He is the one who shelters us from the storm. He is the one who protects us from our enemies. Why is that? He's the good shepherd. This is what Jesus said. Because the Lord is our shepherd, we have no lack. We have no want. There is no lack of the things that we need. Our problem, my problem, your problem is that you call wants needs. And when the wants become needs, you say that God hasn't given you what you need. But if you don't have it, it's not a need. It's not necessary. There are many things that we want that we don't need. But remember, when you put them in the need category... Then you get angry with God because you don't have what you think you need, but you don't need it. You just want it. God provides all the things that we have need of. He shelters us. He's protecting us. He cares for us. David said, I have been old and I have been young, but I have never seen the righteous begging for bread. The church takes care of its own, doesn't it? God takes care of His people by His people, through His people. We give, we support. Reading through the book of Acts, what you find the church in Jerusalem going through great famine. And there was other congregations that came along and gave to provide for their needs. This is what we do as the people of God. Uh, We are those, as Paul said, that we are to labor with our own hands that we might have something to give to Him who has need. Uh, We are to be generous. We are to give. We are to provide for all men, but especially for the household of faith. God's right hand upholds me. What an image. You know, as a young kid, I remember singing, he's got the whole world in his hand. Just thinking about using the word anthropomorphically in the form of a man so we understand. God is the one upholding. God holds us. He keeps us. You've heard me say this before. Let me say it again. I am immortal until God's purpose for me on earth is finished. 
I don't die before my time. We have this stupid saying in our culture, he died before his time. He died too young. Says who? Everybody dies right on time. Again, that is the idea that we just live and die by chance. That we're here by chance, uh, we live and it's just back and forth, uh, happenstance, and then we die, we die by chance. Oh, what a freak accident, we say. No such thing. That just shows you the confusion of man's mind as if God is not in control of all these things. When Micaiah tells Ahab that you are certainly going to die in the battle, and Ahab says, you know what, send him to prison, the bread of affliction, the water of affliction, until I return. And then Micaiah says, you're not returning. If you ever return, then the Spirit of the Lord has not spoken by me. Take heed, Micaiah said, all you people. Well, Ahab must have had some fear in that. Because he doesn't put on his kingly robe. He has Jehoshaphat put on that robe. We'll go out to battle, but you be king for the day. And here, back in the Assyrian camp, the king is telling the Assyrian soldiers, fight with no one small or great but the king of Israel. Certainly the chariots begin coming and descending upon the king. And Jehoshaphat throws off the robe, I'm not Ahab. They turned aside and a soldier draws his bow at a venture. And as he let it go, it struck Ahab between the joints of his armor and he died in his chariot just as Micaiah the prophet prophesied. Nobody dies by chance. Everybody dies according to the time purposed allotted by the Lord. So we are upheld by the hand of God. There's confidence in that, beloved. There's boldness in that. If I live, I live to the Lord for His purpose. If I die, I die to the Lord. Therefore, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord. I belong to Him. There is confidence in that. There's confidence in living. Because, you know, until you're ready to die, you're not ready to live. You don't know how to live if you're not ready to die. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your right hand upholds me. God upholds His people. David moves on and he says this, but those who seek my life to destroy it. That was Absalom. Specifically in this context, we know that as we see in verse 11, the king, we know that David was in the wilderness of Judah on two occasions, chased by Absalom, chased by King Saul. David was not king when Saul was chasing him. So we know it's the occasion where Absalom, with the coup attempt, uh, was trying to withdraw, with overthrow David from the throne. So Absalom is seeking the life of David. How far do you have to sink in depravity to want to kill your parents? We have that in our culture. Fratricide. Children killing children. 
Children killing parents. Children finding out about how much money the parents have. The Menendez brothers, California, killed their parents for money. And we're too stupid, you see, and so we get caught. And they went to prison. For what? For money? We kill for money. We kill for material things that the rust destroys and that moths eat up. Thieves are always striving to get the material things. We strive and we struggle and we fight. I don't know how many occasions that I've seen in families that deteriorate because when a family member dies, the vultures come out. Stuff. I want this. I want that. I want the other thing. I want, no, no, I get this. No, I get that. And fighting over things. That in 10 years it winds up in the goodwill pile. We seek to destroy one another. It's, it's, it's abominable what wickedness lies within the heart. And beloved, there are many layers to our heart, aren't there? There are many things. It's the Word of God that uncovers these things. It's the Word that pierces to the inmost of my being and reveals the thoughts and intention of the heart. I, I don't even know that I thought that way. And the Word of God brings that rebuke. It's a deep well, our hearts. There are things, husbands, you have not told your wives. There are things, wives, you have not told your husbands. There are best friends who haven't told things to their best friends. There are families who don't know things about other family members. And when they find out, wow, I didn't know that. It's a deep well, isn't it? It's strange. We don't even know ourselves as we ought to. And yet the wicked love to destroy the righteous. But David says that those who seek his life, and this is so prophetic, Those who seek my life to destroy it shall go down to the lower parts of the earth. You know what happened to Absalom? Absalom was killed by Joab. He stuck him through with a spear. And he killed him and he was left. He was left in his vanity, struggling in his own blood. He was vain because he must have had a great head of hair. I'm envious. And he got stuck in a terebinth tree. Riding on his donkey, running through, being chased by Joab, he ran through, and what happened is he got his hair stuck, his vanity stuck him in the tree. And then he lost his life. His life was taken from him. And there he sat. And... He is of the dust, and to dust he shall return. And what David says is that they shall fall by the sword. And that's exactly what happened to Absalom. He fell by the sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Absalom died by the sword. And notice that his portion was the jackals. What is that reference to? This is reference to the wicked who die like in battle and are not buried. They're left for the scavengers. They're left for the animals of the earth to come and devour them, to eat up all their flesh and leave their bones scattered without a proper burial. 
That's what David is saying is to all the enemies of David, all those that hate me and want to take my life. Now let's move into this, beloved, with regards to the church. That is what is going to happen to those who are enemies of the church of Jesus Christ, the persecutors of the church. They will all be slain. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 24, of the vultures picking at all the dead bodies, scavenging birds, eating the multitude of flesh that lies in rotting stench upon the earth because they were the enemies of the righteous, because they hated the righteous. They hated the God-fearing. Isn't that the world in which we live? We live in a world that hates the righteous. The ungodly man hates the righteous man. There is an antithesis. There is a loathing that goes forth. The righteous man hates the activity and the waywardness of the ungodly. And the ungodly hates and loathes the righteous works of the believer. But David says the sword is going to devour them. And their portion is going to be for the scavengers of the earth. That's gruesome. You know, we, we, think, we, we even talk about somebody that dies of giving them a proper burial. Of respecting the, the individual because man is the body with respects his body. Man is the soul with respects his soul. But he is respecting his body he is the man. And we have respect and we have a, a proper burial for individuals. We understand that. And, and this is just the opposite. It's having no respect for that at all. And letting them perish and be devoured by the animals. That's gruesome. But yet that's what David says to all those that sought his life. And that's what happened. How would you prepare 20,000 graves? How would you dig 20,000 graves? How long would it take you to dig 20,000 graves? Because that's how many fell with Absalom. 20,000 men. David says, let the wicked be devoured by the animals of the earth. But the king, the king, the one who is not seeking the life of individuals, the king rejoices in God. David was not pursuing Absalom. Absalom was pursuing David. David's focus and desire was to worship the Lord, to rejoice in God, rejoice in God's power, rejoice in God's provision, rejoice in God's providence, rejoice in God's promises. David was a man that rejoiced and knew that all that he had came from the hand of the Lord. So what Paul said in First Corinthians 4, what do you have that you haven't received? If you have received it, Why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? We are to be those that rejoice in our God. We gather corporately on the Lord's day to rejoice in our God. We come to rejoice when we hear His word. We come to rejoice when we sing His praise. We come to rejoice when we confess His name. We come to rejoice when we give of our tithes and offerings. We come to rejoice when we pray to Him, casting our cares upon Him. We come to rejoice when we fellowship with one another and with the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is who we gather before, in front of, as it were, as we worship corporately as the people of God. We come to rejoice. We come to sing. We come to lift up the voice 
to Him, to have glad hearts in the wondrous salvation that God provides for His people. That's why we rejoice. We rejoice because we know that whatever happens to us in this world must work together for our salvation. We know that whatever comes upon us, good or ill, we know that there is the work of the Spirit to conform us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the desire of every believer? I want to be more like Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wondrous face. Then the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You, you can't, beloved, cast longing eyes at the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be one who is running the race, focusing, set upon Him, and have this, like Lot's wife, desire for all the things of the earth, because they are eclipsed by the glory of Christ. What we have in Christ is an imperishable crown. This stuff is perishable. This stuff goes... Who won the title 10 years ago in college football? Who cares? That was in the past, we say. Who cares about that? Think to the present. Think to the now. Nobody cares about that. What happens to Super Bowl rings? They end up being sold on the market. Why? What value is that? You know, Matt Damon said once that he won an Academy Award, and uh, I think it was for Goodwill Hunting. And uh, afterwards, he said, "That's it. That's it. This is it. I get this little award and a little applause, and that's it. That's vain. That's futile. That's nothing in this world. You know, the things that are lasting are love towards your neighbor." Things of commitment, things of giving, providing. Giving not only the gospel, but ourselves as well to one another. I was naturally watching the Michigan game last night. And uh, one of the Bowling Green players got hurt pretty bad. And uh, had some spinal injury. And when they carted him off, and uh, all the Bowling Green team came out there, I noticed... One Michigan player was in the mix of all of those Bowling Green players. You probably didn't see it because Nebraska played at the same time. I was flipping back and forth. But it was number seven. That's Donovan Edwards. Don't worry, you'll meet him in a couple of weeks. You know why he was there? Because... He is an outspoken Christian. He must have been there praying for that guy, holding on to his leg. I was moved by that. And I knew he was a Christian. And I told Maria. And and it, it was affectious. Because other Michigan players gathered around as well. And all of a sudden, this is no longer a battle. We're students. This is just a college football game. His life is more important. It's a show of love. This other stuff of earth, it, it passes by the wayside. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in gathering together. Everyone who swears by Him shall glory. David is in the futuristic. He's thinking about something. He was confident that he would be restored again to the throne. The throne of glory. He's going to glory in the Lord who is going to restore him again. And he says that everybody that glories in God, everybody that swears by him, swearing by him, bringing an oath to him, 
Swearing an oath before the Lord. That's what we do as believers. We are those that take oaths to the Lord. We confess our faith to the Lord. And David says, we shall glory. By Him, we shall glory. Now, think about this. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded, neither life nor death, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Glory. There is glory, exceeding glory. Glory that is coming. Glory of the believer. The the believer is going to glory in the things of the Lord. And there will be much glory in the people of God. We will glorify God. Therefore, it's a reflective glory. But we will glory. We will show forth glory. We will shine in glory as we reflect the glory of God. Being who we were created and recreated in Christ Jesus to be. But the unbeliever... The wretched, the killers, the thieves, the murderers, the manslayers, the kidnappers, all those that love a lie, that do not repent, that walk in ungodliness and and lies and perversion, they shall be stopped. They will be put down. They will die. The hand of the Lord will cast them out. All those that love lies. This is what we read about in the book of Revelation. Those are the cowardly. They love the lie. They don't love the truth. They don't want the truth. They plug their ears to the truth. But as those who are born of the Spirit of God, who follow hard after the Lord, we want the truth. Lord, teach me the truth. It is ours like the psalmist in 119. Teach me, guide me, lead me, instruct me, uphold me, direct me. Give me, Lord, give me the truth. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the love of the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The word of God is truth. It's the truth of God that causes us to see the things that are true and right and good. Not so with the ungodly. It reminds me of Psalm 1. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. That's how the wicked are. The righteous are those that flourish. Their trees produce fruit to the glory of God. Not so with the wicked. Beloved, the the takeaway is, are we those that follow hard after the Lord as David did? Get into the scriptures. I admonish you. Get into the word of God. Say, well, I don't really have a a great desire. Do you have any desire at all? Fan that into flame. Pray. Ask the Lord to give you a greater desire for His Word. And when you get into the Word, submit to the Word. Whatever the Lord says is truth, that settles it. God's Word is truth. That settles it forever. Pray that God would fan into flames your desire and your hunger for His Word, for His truth, for His righteousness, for His holiness, for His worship. Pray. Be diligent to do that, beloved. Set aside a time every day to meet with the Lord. Oftentimes I find it's easiest to pray when I'm in the Word. 
Because I read through the Psalms and I see things in the Psalms that we need to pray for. Lord, pray, pray, cause me to follow closer after you even as we see David. I read in Genesis 20 uh, last week where Ahimelech was kept from sinning against the Lord. Lord, keep me as you kept him from sinning against you. Uh, That's what the Word of God reveals. Those are godly prayers. We find that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Look at Paul's prayer. Look what he prays for. Look at the content of his prayer. Emulate that, beloved. It's an inspired prayer of the Apostle Paul for the people of God. Incorporate that into your life. So be a pure person of the Word, and then you will be a person of prayer. You will see multiple times you will be praying. And the desire of fellowship. Encourage one another. We are called as believers to encourage one another. To be encouraging each other. To put courage to each other. We have such wondrous technology today. To be able to text one another back and forth in an instant. Do it. Throw it back and forth with one another. Just like you're in a tennis match. You hit it and let them hit it back. And hit it to somebody else. And keep hitting it all around the congregation. You have five minutes. You have five minutes. Take five minutes of every day to encourage somebody else of the congregation. Look at the directory. Look at the names. Send them a text. I love you. Throw a scripture in there. And and that's it. It doesn't take that much. But it's amazing what the Lord will do through that. Desire that fellowship. And be faithful when we partake of the Lord's Supper. When there is a baptism. The sacraments. It's a secondary means that God uses to build up His church. Beloved, let us follow hard after the Lord, even through times of persecution, trials, and troubles, as David emulates here in this Psalm 63. Amen. Shall we pray?